A basketball hero around here is treated like a god. I mean, how can you ever find out what he could really do? I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. The Keeping the Nostalgia Live show is sponsored by The Dunk Collection. The Dunk Collection connects sports-minded individuals to basketball-inspired home products meticulously designed to help combat life's most mundane chores. Dirty clothes on the floor? Put a dirty dunk on the door. The Dirty Dunk is the original over-the-door basketball hoop laundry hamper designed to make laundry a slam dunk. Do you have a messy office? Try a document dunk. The original trash can basketball stand designed for those who compete in the corporate arena. You're just one shot away from turning your cubicle into the corner office you deserve. Bath time blues? Make bath time fun with the Scrub-A-Dunk, the original basketball hoop for baby ballers. Attach to the tub and Scrub-A-Dub-Dub. The Dunk Collection, making boring chores a slam dunk. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Um, you can listen to any of our programs. Uh, I think today's program is our 145th episode of uh, just uh, interviews of Indiana high school basketball legends, th- those that coached the game, officiated the game, wrote about the game, uh, or, or contributed to the great game of Indiana high school basketball. I mean, Hoosier, I mean, Hoosier hysteria is just the way it is. And even though they've changed it to class basketball in 1997, uh, it's still it, it's still hysteria. Hoosier hysteria. And also, too, you know, the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, it's the only state uh, within the United States that has its own Indiana. It has its own basketball Hall of Fame. So go to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive dot podbean dot com and you can download any of the interviews to listen at your convenience you can listen to them right there on the site um, also at keeping the nostalgia live dot podbean dot com you can see all of the facebook pages that uh, we have which are all intertwined with indiana high school basketball or basketball in some sort of way um, I have a passion for the game. I wasn't very good at the game at Broderpool High School, but this is my way. I was like a sponge, and I soaked up everything. So this is kind of my way of, of giving back and, and you know, documenting the past so the, the, the future can remember. Um, and a lot of my shows, uh, I've had a lot of authors on uh, uh, with books, and, and today we're going to talk to an author about a book. Uh, but also the gentleman that we're going to talk to was also, uh, it, his name is Timothy Wright. Uh, he's in the Wright Brothers Band, which was formerly known as the Wright Brothers Overland Stage Company, which was formed in 1972. Um, actually, I remember in 1987 watching Overboard, which wasn't the greatest movie ever with Goldie Hawn and with uh, uh, Kurt Russell, but uh, he, they were sang, they sang Jim Dandy in that movie, uh, which was uh, interesting to remember now. I don't remember what, when I watched the movie. I remember it in there, but you know, to, to uh, recollect that after researching on this gentleman was uh, fantastic but he has a book out and it's called the valley boys the story of the 1958 springs valley blackhawks um he was nice enough to send me the uh, manuscript and i got to read through it and i tell you it uh, i could just see a movie trailer for it the valley boys the story of the 1958 springs valley blackhawks and i think it would be a great movie just like uh hoosiers was and this is actually a, a true story 
So, um, uh, Tim Wright, thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule to, to talk to us about the book and uh, uh, to help keep the nostalgia alive. Billy, thank you so much, and I'm going to say from your mouth to the ears of God on that movie thing. <laughs> that's my retirement plan. <laughs> um, t- uh, Tim, can I call you Tim? Sure. Okay. What What was, when, when growing up down in French Lake, Indiana, in southern part of Indiana, was, 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 did you pick up an instrument first, or did you were you interested in basketball first? I think they were... Uh, Simultaneous. Here's what's going on. My dad played in 1943 and 46, and he and a man named Marvin Wood, they won their sectional that year. And so all I, my, my main influence, I believe, on those early years was seeing photos of my dad all over the place. And uh, when I finally got to first grade, there was a trophy case that they had moved out in, uh, into the grade school area because... The two schools of West Baden, high schools of West Baden and French Lick, you know, combined, they merged and consolidated, one of the first school consolidations in the state. So they had to move kind of the past, you know, over and relegate that to another another building. So they put it right next to my first grade uh, room. And so every day I would see a picture of my dad, you know, how they used to pose, you know, you know, a posed picture with a basketball up in, on his right, you know, right hand extended like he's getting ready to shoot and the net was there from 43 you know the and the trophy and the signed basketball so i think that was the biggest influence and i'd go to his uh, my grandmother's house and she had a picture of him in the living room that same photo so it was like i was inundated with basketball from the word go now you said marvin wood (laughs) now this guy went and took the uh milan indians and won the state championship with bobby plump yeah i i said uh I said the wrong name. I meant Marvin Cave. Excuse me. I'm okay. getting Marvin. There's lots of Marvin in this story. Marvin Cave played with my dad, but Marvin Wood, however, was the coach at French Lick in 1951 and 52, the year before he went to Milan in 53 and took him to the finals that year and the following year when they won in 54. You chat about that a little bit in the book, you know. If if, if what is this, what's the saying? If ifs ifs and buts were candies and nuts, you know, uh, uh, Marvin <laughs> Springs Valley may have a state championship. Yeah, well, they they got mighty close, mighty close. So, so when did you get? Was your dad a musician? Yeah, he played guitar. My mom uh, played piano, and so we heard. Like I said, it was it was we were hearing uh, both both ends of the the spectrum we were getting the the basketball at the same time we were getting plenty of music growing up in church we heard you know all the my mom played piano my grandma played piano in church so we just heard music our entire life but my dad played you know hank williams songs on his guitar and so it was just you know it was kind of a constant you know music was a constant inside the home for sure man and you were growing up at about the time where music was ever changing and a lot of things were happening within music Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, 1952 I was born, and uh, in the 60s rolled around. I'm just the the, the ripe age of wanting to wanting to be the the next Beatles. <laughs> so traded I traded in my trumpet for a guitar, and uh, never have looked back. Uh, who taught Who taught you how to play guitar, or did you self teach yourself? Pretty much self taught. Yeah, I, my buddies and I both were learning at the same time. I had a buddy who was taking lessons, so. Uh, I just kind of learned from a lot of stuff from him, and then um, my dad showed me a few things at the very, very on the you know, onset of you know picking up his guitar and 
him showing me a couple of chords. But yeah, it's you know it was just uh, other guys doing it, but it's mostly just listening and figuring it out. Tim, did you guys have a basketball court at your house or a hoop? My dad, yeah, my uh, in French Lick, he down the street. Who knows how this came about? Because we, I don't think we owned, we didn't own the lot. I'm sure we lived up on Indiana Avenue, and if you go down towards town a little bit, there was this. Everything's on a hill there, by the way. So you better put a screen around around a basketball court, or you'll be running up and down the hills, catch you know, finding that ball that gets off the court. But he put in an asphalt court. Um, this is when we were really little on this you know empty lot <clears throat> he must have gotten permission from somebody i don't know so that was the first basketball court then we moved to indianapolis uh 1960 and he just did the same thing just tried around the corner from our house he put another he wanted his boys to be basketball stars too and i'm afraid we disappointed him because uh, even though i took a um billy keller had a uh, uh basketball clinic over at um well, what, what what college was it over on the west side of Indianapolis Marion College and uh, I and that was when I was a freshman he uh, between my eighth grade and freshman year he I went he, he got me signed up for that now here I'm just wanting to go be a you know play music more than anything really but that was great for me it you know got me on the team basically at, at Harlington High School and uh, I played a couple of years but like, like you I was not uh, I'm afraid I didn't have the uh, the gift <laughs> Now, <clears throat> I mean, what was the atmosphere? Do you remember? Now, now, I'm assuming that you went to some basketball basketball games when you guys lived in Southern Indiana. What was the what was the atmosphere like, and and how did you fall in love with the game? Well, because it was this my first grade year was the year that the, the consolidation occurred and the team, um, which is the story of the book, bringing these two towns together. Um, because they started winning. The two towns were the, the arch rivals for years due to the hotels down there that started in the turn of the century in 1902, 1904. These two behemoth hotels were built, the French Lick Springs and the West Baden Springs. So there was, there was this built-in competitive spirit from the, you know, for decades. Well, the Depression came along, the hotels were sold. Uh, Sheraton took over French Lick Springs. They didn't have to change the initials. It was very convenient. And then West Baden was sold to the Jesuits for a dollar. It was just a transaction that was just given to them. And uh, these college boys started coming into playing and uh, from Marquette and Xavier to become priests. But they were playing against these four boys from West Baden. And these four boys from about junior high, seventh grade on, uh, were playing against college age kids. And they got really good. <laughs> but when I saw this team, that was my first introduction to it, was this team I've written about, the 1957-58 Springs Valley Blackhawks. And yes, I did go to the games, and it was just, I can't even explain the excitement that was going on in the town, because we even went to uh, Huntingburg and saw the, um, well, it would have been the sectional and the regional, uh, but, and I, honestly, I'm not sure which one it was. I was in first grade. But I just remember thinking this is the biggest thing I've ever I've been involved in ever. Uh, of course, first grade, there's not too many things to be involved in at that point. But the excitement level was something that I knew this is very important. And uh, something very uh, unique has probably happened here because uh, I've never witnessed anything like it. And and never have really since except maybe going and seeing Rick Mount play in Lebanon and going to see Dave and Billy Shepard play. <laughs> Those were kind of my dad took me to those games too. My, all my uh, growing up years. Were you guys kind of? Yeah, that was it. Were, 
were you guys kind of disappointed, or was it uh, was it work related when you guys moved up to Indianapolis? Um, my brother surely was because he was he was four years older, and he still is. It's amazing, and he was <laughs> so he was more locked. He was he was more locked into his you know his life there, his friends, his school. You know he was the pattern had been set up more for him. I'd only been in first grade, just entering second grade when we moved, and. Um, but we have grand our, our grandparents were still down there. Cousins were down there, and aunts and uncles. So we we went down there. I mean, we spent summers down there. You know, weeks and weeks at a time. We'd go down there and stay. So, but one of them, one my mom's parents lived out in the country, and uh, you know, so we kind of kept a low profile, maybe. But my, our my mom's my dad's mom lived in French Lake, so we spent time, you know, quite a bit of time down there. The rest of our growing up years, but we just didn't, um, you know didn't have a residence there <clears throat> uh tim this is actually your second book am i right yeah yes what was your first book uh, tell us about your first book that you wrote it's um uh, the title is uh, not the destination and it was uh, a book i wrote 10 years ago i'd had a lot of folks coming up to me we had a little bit of national recognition we had nine songs that charted in billboard and couple of albums on major labels like you said the movie overboard so we had some you know we had some good things happen to us and after we'd gotten off the road in uh, 1987 88 we um, decided to get off the road after 17 years of chasing this dream 10 years in nashville recording and uh, I mean, we worked with some of the biggest people down there ron chancy was the oakridge boys producer we worked with him for a long time uh, several other people like that but uh the book, you know, I had people coming up to me and when they'd see me somewhere and say, well, you know, what happened? We thought you guys were, you know, the next Oak Ridge boys. And even those kind of things were touted in, in articles written about us back then. And even in Nashville in publications like the music row news. And uh, so it just appeared like it was supposed to be happening. Well, it didn't happen. You know, it's a strange business. We never had a big enough hit. We got in the top 40 only twice, uh, maybe three times with out of those nine singles. And we were we were on the you know hee haw and we did the Grand Ole Opry we kind of did the whole package but it just did not happen so you know hence the you know we 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 experienced the uh, the the journey for sure but the, we didn't get to the destination we were uh, we were we had hoped for at the beginning so I wrote the book because people kept asking me what you know why what happened and so okay it's there's no one there's no uh, two or three sentence answer to this question. <laughs> So I uh, spelled it out in a book. What was it like to be on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry? Pretty surreal because, you know, I mean, you hear about it your entire life. You've heard it. Uh, you've listened to it. And uh, you think about all the people who have stood in that exact, you know, what happened. Though This was the new Opry, by the way. This wasn't the Ryman Auditorium. But they had cut out a big piece of that original stage. So that's it's like, uh, you know. In, in the actual stage that is there now, some of that original staging they uh, they put in. And so you know you're standing where Hank Williams once stood and Patsy Cline and even Elvis, I think, went in there and auditioned one time and they, they turned him down, I think, is the story. And uh, wasn't country enough. But it was, it was, it really was, but it went by like a, you know, like I said, like very surreal, very kind of like, is this really happening? Because it, it's, the odd thing about Nashville in the 80s, we we were down there and uh, things were starting to change down on Music Row. Publishing companies were, well, think about what was coming out on the radio at that time. Um, Lionel Richie 
was um, writing songs that Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers were putting out. Well, Kenny Rogers being a former you know pop and rock singer, so things were changing uh, quite a bit. And so all the crossover there was a craze to have crossover hits because Dolly Parton had a song called Nine to Five, and it, it was a huge hit. Uh, pop, pop as well as country. So they were trying to pull us into this, you know, this pop country thing, and it really didn't fit us that well. And I think that might have been the reason, you know, things just didn't work out for us. The producers were, you know, you, you go sign with a label, you're not the one that dictates what happens. It, you're, you're pretty much told that this is what's going to happen, and you, you go along with it and hope for the best. And, but uh, that's kind of what happened to us. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. You said Kenny Rogers. I remember uh, my dad buying an album uh, from the fir- from the first edition, and uh, that album I, I I just listened to over and over and over. I, I know. We're, so so you you write this book about your guys's musical travels, um, and and I know because I'm doing one right now that writing a book is kind of a pain in the butt. So, so tell us about that experience. And when does when does the when does the light bulb go off on the top of your head that you know what I want to share this story about the 1957-58 Springs Valley basketball team? Well, after I'd written the book, the Wright brothers band we were playing in French Lick at the uh, at the hotel. We had a radio show that was going on down there, and I think they hired us. The hotel hired us to play the Pumpkin Festival that year, and this is 2007. Well, that same year, the coach from Springs Valley Blackhawks 1958 team, Rex Wells, was in town, and they were honoring the team. I think that fifth, it was the 50th anniversary, and they they just assumed this will be the last time we get together because these guys have all stayed in touch through the years. In fact, some of them are very close friends. It's very interesting how that uh, how that happened, but. Rex has stayed in touch with everybody. So they get together, I think, every 10 years or so. So they, they do this big, you know, as, as my grandma says, a big to-do down there in French Lick. And uh, they do, There's a there had been a video made by the kids in the, the AV department at the high school interviewing the players. And, that, and I got a hold of one of those. And um, I could see, you know, their personalities in that as, as grown men in their 60s at that time. This was 10 years ago. And uh, when I was at the hotel, the Wright brothers were playing that day, going back to what I, I digress, but I run into Rex Wells. Oh, I'd never met him. I'd only seen pictures of him, but, you know, even though he didn't, you know, he still, he had white hair, but he still looked just like Rex Wells, the pictures I'd seen, you know, from from the, the ball games and the the Huntingburg, you know, regional win and the semi-state win down at Evansville. There's great photographs taken that just, you know, they're in the book, and it just shows that there's just, you know, total joy on the faces of everybody. But <clears throat> I see him, and I go up and introduce myself, and I, I, we start, you know, asking, hey, would you like to go sit down, you know, in the pub and go have a beer? And we go sit down, and as we're talking, you know, I tell him about my family. He goes, oh, your dad must be Billy D. Wright. He was, you know, I saw him play when I was in high school, you know, because oh, Rex, you know, when Rex was growing up in the 40s, he saw my dad playing. And he knew he was a, one of the stars on that high school team and that they'd won a sectional. So that was a pretty big deal back then. And so we start talking, and then I tell Rex that, you know, I've always been intrigued over the 1958 Springs Valley Blackhawks. I said that was it, it connected to me even as a first grader. I knew something very special uh, was going on at that time. There was pictures of Blackhawks, the mascot for the team, all over the town. Uh, my grandpa's barbershop window had the schedule and you know a big mascot a picture of the mascot in the window and every I mean every store had this and it was just 
it was just something that was unprecedented. And even as a little boy, I could I could tell that this was very special. This, and I didn't realize, you know, everything at you know all the you know all the details of what was happening at the time. But you know, this 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 one basketball season brought West Baden and French Lick together. So I'm talking to Rex Wells there that you know back in 2007, and I said, "Yeah, I'd really like to just write this story." He says, "Well, let me send you a box. I'll send you a box of stuff." And he sent me these two big scrapbooks, all kinds of things he's written since then. You know, various articles he's written for the uh, um, the uh, high school basketball hall of fame, all that kind of stuff, and so in magazine articles. So he sent me all this information, and so I had basically what I needed to write a book uh, to at least have the details of the games and who did what in the games. And it's not a book of just, you know, statistics that would be boring, but it's a, it's a story that I created around that and uh, embellished uh, conversations, uh, events that things that I experienced in French lick I, and things, stories my dad told me I transferred into these players and, I sent uh, the manuscript to all the players, all the living players, and the widow of one of the players, and um, they all signed off on it. I, well, I was shocked because I put the book away. I started writing it in 2007. I thought I'll never be able to get any all these guys to say yes. It's okay to put words in my mouth, so to speak, because <laughs> I did. And um, I sent it to them, and they all said okay. So, because the publisher would not, you know, put it out unless I had proof of that, you know, signed release form all the players and the coaches and 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 tell us a little bit you said that you, you your grandmother lived above the um uh, barbershop yeah for for that period she did yes when i was in first grade and because i'd run over there for lunch you know back you know back when it was okay for kids to walk away from the school and go somewhere <laughs> during lunch hour you know it was safe little town it was very safe and uh, yeah uh, for that year they lived up there um because they had a house out in the country as well and a farm actually but my aunt and uncle and my mom's sister and her husband were they they were running the farm at that time and they had a dairy company in french lake the twin city dairy company and they were they were using that farm at that time and they kept the cattle there and everything so that's that's the period of time um my grand that my mom's mom and dad were who was the barber one of the barbers in french lake it wasn't that much unlike mayberry when that he wasn't as weird as floyd believe me he was uh, <laughs> but he was but he was a great man and uh it uh it was a it was a wonderful place to hang out and uh here i just loved hearing you know the conversations going on so something triggered that you know for the book that you know that would be a little piece of the the story about the men you know, disgruntled a bit about this big change that was going on in French Lick and West Baden, and ironic, you know, not ironically, it was the exact same thing was going on at Skeet's Barbershop in, in West Baden. The, the the alma mater, the players, the former, uh, you know, students of each school were not happy about this consolidation, and they uh, they showed it during the first three games. They showed up in their old school colors. They they would not they would not change. They would wear their the sprudels, the West Baden sprudels were purple and white, the French Lick Red Devils, red and white. So all those folks would show up to the games and uh after the fourth game though, they had won four games in a row, everybody started showing up in the new school colors and starting to say our team because everybody loves a winner. You know, it, it's interesting. Re reading a book is awesome because it it 
it makes you use your imagination if you weren't there, you know, and, and speaking of the 57-58 basketball team and, you know, uh, you know, uh, reading in the barbershop and, you, you know, your, your mind goes to uh, uh, the scenes in the movie Hoosiers. So, uh, I mean, you know, it, 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 this book kind of it really it really entices and entertains your imagination to kind of, you know, since, you know, I wasn't born and raised there, but you kind of uh, put together uh, of what it was like and, and, and the area and the players. I tried to. Uh, I thought it was important to describe the town and what life was like in 57 or, you know, there's, you know, my kids have no idea what was that, what that was like. They're in their thirties now. But, um, yeah, I thought it was important to, to give the background of this, these two towns that were so competitive, but it started because of those hotels. And then when those hotels kind of went to the wayside, they had to attach that town, the sense of pride to something. And obviously it was going to be basketball. And so these games became, so important. I mean, uh, you know, it's already important anyway. As, as in any, especially small towns, it seems like throughout Indiana. But I mean, there's there's great competition going on on right now, even with the divisions. It's amazing now. It seems like there's been a resurgence or something of interest. Uh, and, you know, for a while games were not attended all that well, <clears throat> and um, now they are here in Indiana because you know you can't you just can't stop this game. <laughs> People are interested in it and they love it, and it's part of our it's a part of the fabric of Indiana. And, um, that's why I'm excited about, you know, the book coming out. And in fact, I'm supposed to get a, a book signing on the 24th down at French Lick at the French Lick West Baden Museum from noon to four. I'm going to be down there doing a book signing and, uh, that'll be the first books handed out to anybody. So it seemed appropriate that, uh, that we would do that that weekend. There's a game the night before the Blackhawks, I believe it's their last home game on the 23rd. And they're going to, we're going to have all the players that can attend, um, Wells' hardcover copy of the book at, at, at halftime. <laughs> so I think that's going to help me a lot promoting the book, but I think it's, it's a great way to honor the team. And I'm, I hope they all feel honored that this book's been written about them. <clears throat> So, you know, I think, uh, you know, the Ro- Romeo Langford and, you know, Damon Bailey's son playing and, you know, I think that's kind of making a, bringing a little bit of resurgence of the game that was down for a little bit. But, you know, mm-hmm. you, you go back to, you know, winning a sectional back in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. was, was almost like winning a state championship. Yeah, it was, it meant so much. Like, you, 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 uh you referred to a book when before the interview started uh, Mike Rose's book uh, about the Ireland Spud when they uh, when they're sec- well they win their regional don't they they go sectional and regional mm-hmm. but um, that's that's quite a story and that is a great book my uh, cousin loaned that to me when he found out I was writing this book and it was uh, I really it was a great story and I, I promote that as much as mine it's it's a fun read really is what, what what was it like with Coach Wells and the players? And you were doing your research. Was it <clears throat> was it hard at the beginning? Did some of them just open up and want to just uh, talk your ear off, or or did you find that once everybody got warmed up, telling you about uh, uh, what happened and how it happened, that um, uh, you just couldn't start stop writing stuff down? Yeah, that's that's really the way it was with Coach Wells, because you know uh, it's been it's sixty well. It began at 50 years, and then you know I put it put it on the shelf for almost 10 years. But uh, you know, 60 years later, where he's talking about this, and it just um, we would have really very lengthy conversations over the phone. And uh, as far as the player, 
look, I got, you know, there's, uh, I talked to eight of the players and, um, two have passed away. Uh, Butch, Ronald Butch Smutchler, uh, everybody called him Butch. He passed away years and years ago, but he was, uh, one of the, he was the star of French Lick. He, he would score 30 points a game back then before, you know, for the French Lick Red Devils. And then when they combined the two teams, Wes Baden had an incredible shooter, Marvin Pruitt, who went on to be an Indiana All-Star. He's he's the only other uh, player from French Lake or from Springs Valley, uh, besides Larry Bird, who's in the Hall of Fame in Indiana. So it's um, you know these guys. I, Marvin would talk. He he talked up a storm with me and just laughed about things. He gave me some insight. Bob McCracken, I spent a lot of time with him. He's he's one of the main focal points. And then Thelma Self, the um, the wife of Frankie self she she shared a lot with me but uh, you know Frankie's one of the focal points of the of the book he he wins one of the games for him in the last 11 seconds by stealing the ball from Vincent a Vincent's guard it was an amazing ending to a story yeah he, uh, uh, Marvin Pruitt had a, a great career as an Evansville ace also yes he did yeah we saw we were playing in Evansville the band the Wright brothers we played down there last summer and uh he and his wife came out because they live, I think, um, Newburgh, I believe they live in. And he came out and, uh, you know, we recognized him from the stage, you know, and there were people then in the audience that, re- you know, knew him from, from those days because he made his mark uh, down there at Evansville for sure. Uh, did Jerry Reynolds help you any? Jerry Reynolds also, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jerry's great. He, uh, you know, Jerry Reynolds, was in eighth grade when all this was going on and he played for the Hawks himself when he when he got in high school but Jerry went on to coach college he went on and ended up um, through just he just says you know he was in the his he's very humble man he said I was in the right place at the right time it's almost he's just very self-deprecating he's so funny and he goes well I just you know, I ended up uh, being an assistant with the Sacramento Kings, and they got rid of the coach, and all of a sudden he's the coach of the Kings back in the 80s, and they're playing against, you know, L.A. Lakers, Kareem and uh, Worthy and, uh, you know, the star of Magic Johnson. They're playing against all these, you know, big, you know, teams that were, you know, the elite of the NBA at the time. And so they they have a game on TNT, I think it was a Saturday afternoon, and they win against LA the the Showtime LA Lakers of course and it's a big big deal you know for this the Sacramento Kings to pull that off well he's being interviewed after the game by the sports writers how they always have the conference the press conference and they say well was this your biggest thrill they're asking Jerry and he answers and goes oh not by a long shot it was when Frankie Self stole the ball from the Vincennes Garden one thing won the won the regional in the last 11 seconds and they just all look at him like have you lost your mind <laughs> but he says no the reality is that was that really was his biggest basketball thrill they just didn't understand you know and he still touts yeah, him, so. he, he still touts himself as the second most popular person to come out of that area right <laughs> yes, he does say that. I heard him say that once. He's hilarious too. And 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 I heard an interview on ESPN one time with him, and he's he had those guys laughing. And I saw, I got to see him. He they came, they played the Pacers uh, the, the night. I see, it was Halloween actually. They the, the Kings were in Indianapolis, and um, the Wright brothers sang the national anthem that night. So you know that worked out pretty well. So I got to see, got to meet him actually for the first time. My brother knew his brother. 
because they were the same age and they played ball together, played baseball, I think, down there in French Lake. But I'd never met Jerry, and uh, he wrote a really nice blurb for the book. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And Bobby Plump wrote a real nice blurb because he has great memories of, of this 1958 season as well. You know, it's interesting. Jerry, uh, Jerry told me a story one time about how with Larry Bird, when he'd coach against Larry Bird, the one thing you never wanted to do with Larry Bird, especially if you were beating beating him, was to get eye contact with him. <laughs> if you got eye contact with him, uh, it, it was it was basically all over or Larry was going to get in his head. <laughs> so, that so, doesn't surprise uh, me a bit. Uh, Tim, what, I love the cover of the book. Is that is that an actual photo? <laughs> oh, yeah, I took that photo, but you won't believe where I took it. No. Um, my wife is an interior designer, and um, she found these two barn doors that it, that were in our home. And, um, you know, like, oh, we'll use these someday. They were just kind of used as props, you know, between the kitchen and the living room at the time. And so... I said, well, you know what, if I put those together and stick, and there, uh, there's this goal that was over at my brother's house because his son from his days of high school. And so it'd been out there in the weather for, I don't know, the last 25 years or 20 years or so. And I went and got that goal and put that those barn doors together. And it pretty much looks like <laughs> a barn with a basketball goal attached to it, the side of a barn. You know, that's, that's how the picture came about. You know, and, and, and just, I mean, I, I mean, when I first saw the, the cover, I was like, uh, that, that would make me pick up the book and take it to the cash wrap <laughs> all by itself. Well, um, I'm hoping that's exactly what happens with many, many other people that love uh, Indiana High School basketball. Because this story, it, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of been, it, it got overshadowed, I think, because every, they were, all the sports writers, when, when uh, Springs Valley was, you know, headed to the Final Four. They'd won 25 games in a row. They're getting ready to go play Fort Wayne North, Fort Wayne South, excuse me. And of course, Fort Wayne South had a seven-foot center named Mike McCoy, and they had a six-five and a six-four forward. The tallest, the tallest kid on Springs Valley was six-one. The other, the other forward was five-eleven. <laughs> you can imagine, you know, a seven-foot guy probably didn't even have to jump to even get a rebound against those guys. So it was, you know, it's challenging to say the least. But now, uh, a fellow, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, a fellow. Well, I was going to say that a writer back then um, wrote something real interesting um, about. It. I was saying that he kind of, the the story of Milan, of course, you know, that's the biggest high school story of all time in Indiana. And um, there was a fellow that that wrote. Um, that wrote something that I had found a while back. I'm looking for it right now. It's, it's, it really is somewhere in the beginning of this book. <laughs> and I don't know why well, I can't find it. Okay. There's a, there was a, a, um, an, a sports editor for the Indianapolis news back then named uh, William Fox jr. I think, or WF Fox. I think his name was William. He said, when it comes to revive, revise the already tradition steeped history of Indiana high school basketball, there will be a special chapter for Coach Wells and his miraculous Springs Valley Blackhawks. And I thought, wow, you know, that's where sports writers were back then. Uh, they were calling the, the, the Blackhawks the sentimental favorite. Um, even You could even read into some of the columns that you could tell that the sports writers were rooting for them. They just they knew they were the underdog, even though they you know, had this unbelievable undefeated season up to that point. And 
they faced uh, they faced a mighty big team uh, in the final the afternoon game of the final four. And uh, you'll have to read the book to find out what happens. <laughs> uh, Tim, <laughs> Can't so, give away the uh, of course not. That's why we're doing the review now. Um, <laughs> tell us what was the difference between writing your first first book and the second book. Uh, it, it, is this self-published? Where can people be able to get the book? I know you were talking about your signing that you're going to have down in, uh, at Springs Valley here later on. But uh, and yeah. tell, us, tell us the difference between writing your first one and writing this one about basketball, and where, where can we get it? Yeah, well, first of all, before I forget it, you, you can order it right now from lulu.com. That's L-U-L-U. Dot com www.lulu.com and uh, they are the publisher and you can order directly from them they're the biggest self it's a self-published book but these books are um, they're print print to order so and like I've, I've ordered a couple hundred right now a few more than that to take down to French Lick but uh, for this book signing so but it can be ordered uh, in the next few weeks when they approve distribution and it's they're, they're having to deal with Amazon and um, Barnes and Noble on the other end of things. That takes another a month or so before that uh, that all all that t- red tape you know gets taken care of. And I don't I don't even know what all has to happen. But for but at some point in time, people will be able to order this from Barnes and Noble and, and Amazon. But right now, they can order it from Lulu.com, and it it'll come. You know, I think five days is the turnaround time. I've I've already ordered some, and they've already sent me a couple of approval copies, and it only takes you know less than a week really to get it. So. But uh, the difference in the writing the books, yeah, that was the, I wanted to make sure I got the information about how to order the book. But um, the difference in uh, writing this book, this was much more. Uh, it was more fun um, when you're writing my, in my other books, more or less, you know, about me and the band and my perspective on on what took place in Nashville and our whole career, actually. And this book being about other people. Um, and getting to interview them, and and I I, I I literally did put words in their mouth. You know, I I had to make up conversations. You know, I mean, there's a story that surrounds us. There's three of the guys married their high school sweethearts, and they're still married. Oh, wow. You know, it's that kind of a that's that kind of thing. And plus the coach, he married his high school sweetheart, and they're still married. And I got to know these guys in a way that I feel, and just by talking to them, I mean, they weren't, all, you know. I talked with Rex Wells coach extensively, but the other guys, I, you know, maybe Bob McCracken, I got with him a couple of times and I had several phone conversations with he and uh, Marvin Pruitt, but really those were the, the main guys I spoke, but I did call everybody. And, uh, that's written about in the book. Every team member was, you know, spoken to and I asked them questions, but, um, it was much more fun. And I feel writing about these guys, I feel like I'm really close to them. I got, you know, you hear the expression, you get in somebody, you just said it, well, you get in somebody's head. Well, I really felt like I was inside, inside them, you know, I feel so close because of this story that I've fabricated a lot of the events and a lot of it's, I'd say it's, you know, 75% all actual things that happen, like Marvin Pruitt, you know, squashing a mouse on the basketball floor, <laughs> and Jackie Belcher, <laughs> in the first game of the season uh, actually happened the second time they played Shawswick Farmers but uh, he gets shot by the uh, timer's gun going off at the end of the first half <laughs> and just crazy things would occur they played Providence and there was a brawl that almost broke out I mean just in the same they played Dubois in the same I mean yeah the Dubois Jeeps they played them and a, a, a brawl almost broke out a sheriff had to you know the, the law had to get involved and clear the 
clear the court. So these kind of things just followed them around, it seemed like, uh, throughout the season. But that's why I think this was much more fun to write than about my own experience. You know, the, the book is called The Valley Boys, the story of the 1958-758 Springs Valley Blackhawks. It's interesting, you were talking about uh, getting your book at lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com. I actually have in my hand a book from lulu.com, and it's actually Roger Kaiser's If It Feels Like Leather, Shoot It, The All-American Life of Roger Kaiser. And, the uh, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it you know just because it's lulu.com doesn't mean it, it's any different from Simon & Schuster or any other kind of... Uh, uh, book publisher, but uh, they they make really great books. Uh, Tim, tell oh, yeah. us tell us a little bit about how how did you have to juggle uh, writing the book, getting the book ready? Uh, actually, you're getting ready to uh, release it. How do you juggle that with what you do with music? Well, the music, the Wright brothers play usually in the summer, and we do a couple of private things, you know, in the winter time. But this is a really slow time of year. That's when I did a lot of the writing on this. Uh, but I, I, I worked on polishing it up throughout the summer. And uh, we just, you know, it's not a, you know, I got a lot of time, actually. I, I'd, I'd stay up, you know, you know, musician at night, and, you know, my wife had gone to bed, you know, four hours earlier, and I'm still up, you know, pecking away at this laptop trying to get this thing done. And, you know, there's revisions, and there's rewrites, and there's just, I don't know how many times there's, I've got so many stacks of different rewrites of this thing. It's, it's funny. I just kept them for some reason, but um, the final version, uh, I had a great editor um, <clears throat> named P- Peter Note. He's my brother-in-law. He was the head of publications at the University of Indianapolis. And ironically, he knows one of the players named Jim Conrad who played on this Springs Valley team because Jim Conrad ended up at the University of Indianapolis and the head of the business uh, school. So, uh, you know, once again, small, small world, small state. <laughs> And, and what do you do for a promotional tour? I mean, is it the is the Springs Valley uh, setup uh, the only one that you have right now, or do you have some other things in uh, in store to uh, get the book out? There's there's a couple of articles coming out, um, and then you call me out of the clear blue if somebody told you about this, and I'm just tickled pink because it's just you know this is helping promote this thing because I you know I don't have a major company behind me, but I think because there's already there's actually another fellow in L.A. who already wanted to me to sign a deal and as far as him shopping it for a screenplay and I just I thought it was premature to do that before the book even came out I thought well you know I've got connections with some movie people that my wife's business partners she's on she's in New York and there's some you know there's just some connections there that I would like to uh, you know to explore before I you know give this to somebody to say it's yours to uh, to promote and help help get this happening and then there's another fellow in LA that I, I met through uh, going back to Marvin Cave, the gentleman that played basketball with my dad, he ended up being uh, one of the CEO or one of the presidents at Eli Lilly. His career, he's from French Lick. So Marvin Cave, uh, our, our band played for his 70th wedding anniversary. His, oh my his gosh. granddaughter called. Yes, his granddaughter called me up, and they knew the band and was from French Lick and everything. So they thought that'd be apropos. And so I'm, we're sitting there during one of our breaks, and I'm talking to Marvin Cave. And uh, we're reminiscing, you know, and talking about, you know, my dad playing basketball with him. I think he was a junior or senior when my dad was a sophomore. But anyway, they did win the sectional that year for the French Lick Red Devils. So we're going through all that. And so this young man walks up to me and, you know, compliments the music and stuff. And I ask him what he does. He goes, well, I'm in the I'm in the film industry. <laughs> I'm an attorney representing, you know, uh, 
you know, different movie moguls and what have you. Anyway, so I, of course, the light bulb goes off. Oh, okay. Uh, can I send you a manuscript? <laughs> so I, his name is, yeah, his name is Dax, D-A-X Craven. And uh, if that's not a Hollywood name, I don't know what is. But anyway, I sent the manuscript to him. And he says, I think you're onto something. This could be Hoosiers too. And I'm going, yes, it really could be. So uh, I've got like, there's three different outlets right now that, that seem to be interested in doing the film. So I, I've got great hopes that this thing can become more than just a book that's owned by, uh, you know, some folks from French Lake. <laughs> you know, in, in reading in reading the book and reading the manuscript that you sent me, and thank you so much, I was I was trying to come up with a with what I would say about the book. And uh, the other day I was making a promo for the book, and I think uh, uh, Greg Doyle on the front of your book says it best, which is, uh, I mean, if you love mm-hmm. Indi- if you love Indiana, if you love high school basketball, if you love history. And if you are fascinated with all three as I am, this is a story. This story of a magical season will hit you in the sweetest of spots. And that's Greg Dole, who's an Indianapolis sports columnist and award-winning journalist and former national columnist for the CBSSports.com. And I, I, I mean, I, I love the. I go back to one small town, one crazy coach. But I, <laughs> you, you know, this the book is called The Valley Boys: The Story of the 1958 Springs Valley Blackhawks. The author is Tim Wright, who is with us. And Tim, I think, and you can be able to get the book here uh, pretty soon at lulu.com. Um, right also, now. Uh, right yeah. now, right now. And also, yeah. too, mm-hmm. you'll be able to, I'll have links for that uh, uh, on the show, uh, on, on our show page, keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with it. Uh, and um, I think everybody, it's a, a fabulous read. I re- highly recommend it. And wouldn't that be fantastic to be able to, you know, from Hoosiers coming out in the fall of 1986 to being able to go see another basketball movie would just like Hoosiers would be fantastic. Yeah, it would it that would be it would be very uh, you know it'd be a dream come true for me for sure. But I thank you so much, Billy, for taking this time and uh, and uh, you know helping me look at what's great. You know, who's your hysteria? It's just another piece of the puzzle. Yes, and, and, and interesting. Yes, it is, and I'll be waiting. I, I want a small part in the movie. You understand? Absolutely. Uh, how old are you? It depends on your age. Uh, you, know, you can't play a high school student, can you? <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, I'm 50 years old, so I can't. Maybe I can play yeah. the coach, you okay. know? You, you might be able to play the coach. How about the principal? <laughs> <laughs> Tim Wright, thanks again. Thank you again. Right. Once again, the book is called The Valley Boys, the story of the 1958 Springs Valley Blackhawks. And I also want to do a shout-out to you because you have a, a, a someone who's a big-time backer, which is uh, Kim Egan. Oh, yeah. 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 So he also is a uh, one of those Valley Boys. And, uh, uh, guys, you'll really enjoy the book. Go to lulu.com. Get order the book today. And, Tim Wright, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I know you got a busy schedule. We appreciate it. Thanks, Billy. I appreciate it, too, so much.